Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Everybody coming to my church here in McKinney, Texas. And thank you. God bless you for uh, coming from all over the world. SoundCloud, thank you for joining us today at Gospel Saving Church. Uh, Praise God and thankful that the Lord's got us here for another day. Uh, It's better than the alternative of uh, passing on and, and, uh, and, and being dead. So let's be thankful for the Lord, to the Lord for another beautiful day and Let's enjoy this day that the Lord has made and rejoice and be glad in it. And uh, let's pray to open our service as I always do. We need the Lord's help to understand his words and, and just to just get in the mode and in the mood for to hear God's words. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you so much for, for uh, being our guest of honor, Lord, for your word says wherever two or more gathered in your name, and you will be there, Lord, so we know that you are here, because, Lord, I know there's at least two or more here that are yours. So, Lord, we praise you, we thank you, we welcome you, and, uh, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this message, and thank you, Lord, for all that you've spoken to me this week, and how you've gotten me through another week, and everybody else that's listening to, Lord, because um, we're here. So, Lord, thank you, and bless you, and praise you, and we ask that you give us wisdom and knowledge to understand this message today. And help us not only to understand it, Lord, but to actually do something on what we hear. Not just hear it and go about our way, but hear it and act on it, Lord. Hear it and do something upon what your word says. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 9 today. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. We're continuing on in our getting through 2 Timothy. Uh, I'll get to them and read them after my thoughts from last week's message. Love is not optional. So last week I told you that according to Paul and Christ, love was not optional for Christians. Remember that? As Part of the reason was for the purpose of helping the unsaved come to be saved, remember? Because that is what God wants from, you know, people, from those of us that are saved. He wants us to help the lost find their way to Christ. That's one of our duties for, for God, right? But just how important is it that Christians be loving towards all? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, listen to this, so I could speak with tongues of supernatural tongues, right? Speak in different languages and tongues of angels, a heavenly language, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. What does that mean? I'm not able to be understood. I could speak with a heavenly, beautiful language above and beyond any language in this earth that we could ever hear, a language so beautiful to the ear, we, you know, our ears might explode if we heard it in, the, in our fleshly bodies. And if I don't have love, then I'm a sounding brass, telling somebody, you can't even understand me. And though I have the gift of prophecy, which means I can, I can tell things in the future like nobody else, just like God himself. And understand all mysteries, meaning anything difficult to understand. And, and, and I have all knowledge, means I'm as wise as God. And though I have all faith, you know, like Jesus said, if you have the faith the side of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. So that I could remove mountains, but I have that love. I am nothing, Paul says. I am nothing. Wow. So I could do all those amazing things, have the wisdom of God, but if I am not loving, I'm nothing. And though I bestow my goods to feed the poor. So take all that I have and take it to the food banker, take it down to the homeless shelters and you know, give it to the poor. And though I give my body to be burned, that's happened throughout history, by the way. Christians have been burned to death. People are being burned to death now. Christians have been burned to death now. Though I give my body to be burned... But have not love, all of that sacrifice, Paul says here, profits me nothing. All the sacrifice that I gave, my life that I laid down for the gospel, my giving all my goods to the poor, my food to the poor so that they could eat, 
if I'm not loving, so you could do those things and not be loving, but if I'm not loving in the midst of it, it profits me nothing. That's pretty intense. This love stuff sounds pretty important to me. I don't know about you. That was from Paul. What did Jesus Christ have to say about his children being loving? How important did he say love was? Well, remember that verse from last week, John 13, 34. Jesus said, it is a commandment, a new commandment I give to you. This is not a suggestion. I talked about this last week. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Well, that's not all he said. There was actually one verse more than that, and I didn't talk on that last week. It didn't really apply to last week, but how important love is, it does apply. Go just one verse down to John 13, 35, and he says this. By this, meaning this love for one another, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So if we're not loving toward other Christians, because this is loving one another, this is the context, would be other brothers and sisters in Christ. So if we're not loving toward other Christians, nobody will even know that we're his followers. And one of the things that Christians are supposed to do for God, number one was, we talked about it last week, relationship, loving him back, but number two was bringing him glory. How in the world would we bring God glory if we're not loving one another? We just simply wouldn't. How did John interpret what he heard Jesus Christ teach Christians about loving in his epistles? 1 John 4, 7-8. Beloved, speaking to Christians, let us love one another for love is of God. For everyone who loves is born of God and knows So if we don't love, then we're not born of God. (laughs) And he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And again, this is not some words. This is loving in actions and words. Loving in our sacrifice for one another. Loving in what we do for one another. Loving in how we act toward others. Both saved and not saved. And if we don't love other brothers and sisters in Christ, we can't bring God glory because people wouldn't even know that we're Christians. And if we're not loving at all, John's pretty harsh by what he understood Jesus teach. For since God is love, if we're not loving at all, then, then equals God must not live in you because if you're not loving toward others, how can God be living in you? So how important is loving other people, Christian? How important is it in God's eyes? It's eternal. It's monumental. Christians, love is not optional. Love is something we have to die to. Love is something I have to die to every day. My naturalness of my flesh says hate. Somebody says they do something against me, I hate what that person did. But the love of Christ within me says, I love them. Love them, Ed. And so then I have to love them. I have to deny myself. Jesus said those who desire to follow after me, must deny themselves. The first one, pick up their crosses and follow after me. Denying self is all part of being a Christian. Denying the hatefulness, the denying the selfishness, and living like Christ. Living in love like Christ. This is what Jesus said. This is what God expects. That's why love is not optional. So Christians, we must love into our last breath. We must love everyone at all costs. Love is not optional. All right, praise God. Well, let's switch gears. Let's get on to our new sermon for today, shall we? The new title of our new message is, it's kind of a dual kind of title. First kind of one, I think, ever. It's called, this new sermon's called, The Last Days Religious Impostors. The Last Days Religious Impostors. Meaning, in the last days, there's going to be religious imposters, and that's what this sermon's going to be about. The last days, religious imposters. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-9, through 9, and see what Paul has to say to us today. Paul says this, But know this, talking to Timothy now, that in the last days, 
perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Ooh, sounds pretty bad. Unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was, meaning those two people with Moses. So in our message today, we have a very sad and kind of somber section of scripture to study. Why? Paul gives us some details of exactly how things are going to be during the last days of this world. Now, remember, their last days are kind of the last days before Jesus Christ comes back and returns. So it's the last days before the Antichrist will be revealed, right? It's all kind of in, 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 it's all together. Last days, Jesus Christ returning, Antichrist being revealed. It's kind of the end of the world's near kind of thing. So that's what I want you to set your mind on here. In the last days here, Paul's given us some details on how things are kind of, kind of be. It's not quite as sad as the section of scripture in chapter 4 where Paul tells us on how where Paul tells us what the the church is going to look like where we get some sad details of how people will be heaping up for themselves, you know, teachers because they have itchy ears and so on and so forth cuz this will be kind of what the church will look like in the last days. We'll get there in probably a couple weeks, but it sure is pretty darn sad if you ask me. So look again with me here as Paul describes these last days. Let's look at verse 1 one more time and let's study it though this time. He says to begin off right here, he says, But know this, it's, 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 it's a fact. Paul was looking into the future, God showed him the future, and he saw kind of the end of the world and he saw kind of how things were going to be. He says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. What does he mean? Strong's defines this word, Strong's Concordance defines this word perilous as, listen to this, hard to bear. So these days will be hard to bear. Troublesome. A lot of troubles. Lots. Dangerous. Harsh. Fierce. Savage. Those are the definition that those are the definitions that Paul gives here, or that the Strong's Concordance gives here on the word perilous. Right? So think about a time period worldwide. This is what Paul's talking about, where the days will be dangerous, harsh, fierce, savage. Well, let's just say this. The days will just be full of evil. What a capital E. Evil. Evil, evil days. Well, I don't know about you that are living in this world that I'm living in. But to me, that kind of sounds like the days we're living in right now, doesn't it? Why will these last days be so full of such evil like our days kind of now? Because here, as Paul tells us, because of the way the people will behave. Look with me at verses 2 through 4. We're going to kind of go through them kind of quickly. I'm just going to kind of go through things here, comment a little bit. Paul says they're going to be perilous because for... Men will be lovers of themselves. What does that mean? My way. I love me. It's called conceited. I love me. Lovers of themselves. Let's get a picture of that. When you love yourself, you serve yourself. You do the things which only make you happy. The lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. So not only will you serve yourself, but of course you 
have to serve the money and you have to love the money because in order to get things for yourself, in order to serve yourself with pleasures, you have to have money to do that in our world. So it just kind of goes right along with it. You, it's hard to love yourself if you have nothing to love yourself with, right? So you have to make lots of money so that you can love yourself with all the things that you want to love yourself with. Lovers of money. They'll be boasters. Look at me. Look at all that I have. Look at all my great wealth. Look at all my money. Or you could say in our America today, look at all my credit has bought me. But people don't think like that, right? Because they think it's mine, even though it's not really theirs, because they bought in credit. It's all that whole deception of the devil. But they'll be boasters, nonetheless, on all that they have, no matter how they got it. They'll be proud. Look at me. Look at how great I am because of all this stuff that I got. Look at... Look at how good I, look at how, you know, it's all the whole Joneses thing, right? Keeping up with the Joneses. We all got to have better than our neighbor. Proud. It's pride. I'm, uh, look at me, right? They'll be blasphemers. What does that mean? They'll blaspheme God. I see that happening all over the place. Blaspheming, and not just any God, by the way. People don't just, people don't say, Allah blank, or oh, Buddha blank. Oh, Vishnu or Krishnu blank. No, they say, oh, Jesus, you know. Oh, God blank. They don't use any other name. They use the one true name. All those swear words come. The one true name gets blasphemed. Not just any of the false gods. They'll be disobedient to parents, which means that kids won't respect their parents. Wow, that sure sounds like to me today. They'll be unthankful. They'll be unholy. Well, what is unholy? Well, God is holy, right? And if you're unholy, that means your actions are against God. So being unholy means that you live in actions against God. They'll be unholy. They'll be unloving. Keep in mind here as I'm reading this, how many times the word hate and the word unloving or lack of love or whatever, keep in mind those things. They'll be unloving. People, that means that people will have no love for one another. They may say nice things to one another, but when it comes down to sacrifice or doing something for others, remember we talked about real love last week. Real love is an action, right? Real love means I, I show you I love you by my actions, but people in the last days will be unloving. That means they'll have no love. They won't... They'll they'll have no care for fellow man. They won't love fellow man. They won't do anything for fellow man. They'll just be unloving. They'll be unforgiving. Meaning, if you do someone wrong, right, and you come to them and say, hey, man, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, I see that I did that thing wrong. Somebody should say, well, you know what? I thank you for apologizing. I forgive you. Well, I don't know about you, but in my relationships that I've had, the whole, un, the whole here, this unforgiving thing I've seen played right out. Because I don't see really much forgiveness going on. People hold on to unforgiveness like they, like they would a, you know, a dollar if it was their last dollar. They don't forgive. They, can, they hold resentment toward others just in, in, a, in a, just a, just a great way. They don't ever forgive. and I, it's, just, it's just a plague. And really, when you don't forgive and when you hold on to resentment, you become the slave. Not the person that you're not forgiving. You become the slave to that unforgiveness. But yet I see it all the time. They become slanders, which means they they constantly talk bad about others. Slanders. Uh, Without self-control, they do whatever they want. Ever driven on the highways lately? They people drive however they want. Speed limit says 60, 65, people doing 90. People walk out of the grocery store with carts of food. They do whatever they want. And I don't even really see the law upholding the law the way the law should be upholding the law. They're kind of just, let them get away with it. Some, some of it, sometimes it gets caught, but mostly a lot of it goes on away. And, and people just kind of do whatever they want without self-control. Brutal. Think about that. That's mean. Brutal. They'll be despisers of good. Well, the only things that are good are the things that God has made and the things that God has given, of course. So really, the despisers of good would be haters of God's good things. 
haters of God's people. People be traitors. They'll betray one another because, you know, it, it benefits them. You see that all the way in the corporate world, right? In the corporate world, what do they do? You, the corporate ladder, right? You got to step on people to get up that ladder. People be traitors. They'll traitor on one another. They just turn one another in. For what? For self-gain. Huh? Lovers of self. They'll be headstrong. Uh, not only do I do it my way, I'm gonna, or not only do, do I do whatever I want, but I, headstrong means I do it, I'm going to barrel ahead and do it. That's, that's how people are. Haughty. Uh, haughty is prideful. Think of pride. And then the last one really, really sticks out here. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So that means people will love and serve the natural lusts of their flesh rather than serving God. So that means, what would we see then? We'd see people serving sex, see people serving drugs, money, and whatever else can bring their mind and their body pleasure. Pornography, alcohol, self-serving, lovers of pleasure. What makes my flesh happy? Video games, constant. TV, constant. Anything to make my flesh feel good. It's a serving of self only here and not loving or serving God at all. So, in the last days, the world will be completely full of narcissistic or conceited people who will only love and serve themselves and not God. They'll blaspheme Him hate him, and act in unholy ways which are against him, plus all the rest of the evil stuff that I just mentioned there. Now, no wonder why Paul just said that these last days would be hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous, fierce, savage, and just overall evil. There's no wonder why when we read that, there's no wonder why he said that. And again, I see that, I don't know about you, in the days we're living in right now, they just emulate everything Paul just described there. When we couple what Paul said there, and we combine with it Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus speaks to his disciples in 3 through 9, verses 3 through 9, we really get a full picture of what our day or what the last days will really look like. See, Jesus' disciples come to him in the and you know toward kind of the end of his ministry and they say hey Jesus would you give us some time you know some signs of the end of times or you could say the end of the world or the last days as Paul is describing here Jesus says starting in uh, verse 3 or 4 Jesus says be careful no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will deceive many well I did a, a whole sermon on this that's happening now and that's happened in the past All kinds of people have come forth saying, I'm the Messiah. I am the Christ. That's that's one that we can check off our list because that's happened. He goes on to say, you will hear of wars and rumors of war. Well, war is full in our world. Our world is full of war. The war on, you could probably finish the statement in your head, the war on terror. Terror, the war, terrorists are all over the world, and they're terrorizing the whole world, and we have a war on terror that's an ongoing, never-ending thing, because there's always going to be evil in the world, and these evil people are always going to try to make you afraid, and so that's the war on terror, and so you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Well, this has been in the past, but not so much right now, but he, as he goes on, there'll be famines. Well, ever heard of the phrase, end world hunger? They've got commercials all over the place. End world hunger. Yeah, that's a big one because there's famines all over the world. People are starving. Pestilences, diseases. Diseases are rampant. Not necessarily in America, but in other parts of the world. Earthquakes in various places. Earthquakes that have happened in the past, they're gaining more and more and more every year. They, they have a whole like division of the government or people, their whole you know, private sector that deals with nothing but tracking earthquakes and earthquakes have been on the rise for years and they're more and more and more and more and they're not scaling back now that's it so that's happening right now and happened in the past verse 9 look at this one because we see this one happening in our world right now with isis they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you speaking to christians 
and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Well, as I said again, Christians today are one of the most hated people in the world. Radical Islam is killing Christians like crazy right now. Verse 10, many will be offended, will betray one another, and hate one another. Hate is filling our world right now, like never before. I'm going to tell you a statistic now that I found. It's going to blow your head away. It's going to blow your mind out of your, out of your, out of your head like it did mine yesterday when God showed it to me. We got hate crimes. We got groups trying to kill police officers. We got road rage. And did you know... There's almost 1,000 certified hate groups in America right now. Almost 1,979 hate groups in America right now. And that's not even talking about like some special interest groups, which you may, you know, they didn't really call them hate groups, but they kind of can be deemed hate groups because they have uh, something against somebody else. Almost 1,000 hate groups. Now, these are, <laughs> these are official groups that are together just because they hate someone else. Almost 1,000 in our world right now. And Jesus said in the last days, many will hate one another. Whew. And because lawlessness will abound, so because of sin, because of sin, people will love sin and love that sin, right? Because the lawlessness will abound, sin will go rampant, the love of many will grow cold. So people's compassion for one another will just grow cold. People will just hate one another. So Jesus mentions people hating twice here, and the love of many growing cold because of sin, which is basically another way to say that people will hate one another. So hate is definitely a trademark of our last days, or of the last days of our world, according to Paul and Jesus Christ in our two sections of scripture right here. And again, I am seeing hate, especially today, more than ever before April 2016. Think Almost 1,000 hate groups. Since when does there have to be a hate group? So it wasn't enough that people just hated one another. Now they have to actually get in groups to band together to hate other people. Wow. Almost 1,000 hate groups in America. Hate is like a plague all over the world. It's terrible. And I see it more now than ever before. And, and, and sadly, as evil as what I just read to you, as that just was. So that's what I just read. That's pretty evil. Hate and, and people killing Christians and, and all the self-love and all the, you know, all the sin that's going to abound. As bad as all that was, the news actually gets even worse. Look at the first sentence of verse 5. Paul says, that these same people that are going to be doing these things, they'll have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute now. How could these people that are lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, haters of others, killing other Christians, how can they have a form of godliness, but deny its power? What, what is Paul saying? Well, the power of God comes from God's Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. See, because God gives His Spirit to people that get really saved, that become Christians, and then His Spirit produces a certain power in your life. At least that's what God has experienced for me. Power to, you know, lay a hand on somebody and heal them. Power to change, because, you know, the Bible says before you're saved, you're a slave to sin. Well, now I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I have power over Sin. I have power to not sin. I can see sin. It doesn't mean I'll always not sin. But now the Bible says because I've got God's Holy Spirit living within me, I've been born again. I don't have to sin. So people, but people here that are doing all these things will look godly. They'll have a form of godliness. They'll kind of look religious. But yet they'll deny his power. What is Paul saying? So these people of the last days who are and will be acting in these hateful, horrible, evil, and terrible ways toward others 
uh, even, killing, even killing Christians, not all of them well, as we just read, but as Jesus Christ said in Matthew, will have an outward form or appearance of godliness, which means that they'll look like they're kind of like a holy figure. And they'll maybe even think that they're kind of holy, that like they're God's actual people. Yet they will not have God's Holy Spirit and His power inside of them to live holy and love others. And this makes them imposters. This is why we titled the sermon, The Last Days, Imposter, Religious Imposters, which makes them imposters, which makes them the worst kind of evil people. Why? Let me explain. It's, I used to be an atheist. I, there, there was no question whether I loved God or I hated God. I hated God. I hated religious people. I hated everything to do with religion. I, I, I lived my life of hate, and I didn't pretend anything. I, I, I didn't go to church. I didn't fake like I was a Christian. I, I, I didn't want anything to do with God. I was a, not a religious person, and I just lived my life, and so that's what I was. And, and everybody knew it that knew me. Everybody knew what kind of person I was. But you see here, if we have a form of godliness, but deny God's power, that means we're trying to look like a godly person. We're trying to look like a religious person, yet we won't be exhibiting God's power, which is really kind of deceiving. And this is the worst kind of evil person because they're, they are something, but they're not something. And, and remember, these evil people that are pretend to be religious, they're even going to be killing Christians. Jesus foretold it. John 16, 12. Think of this. The time is coming, and I'll add this, that these imposters, that these religious imposters, but the time is coming that whoever kills you, he was talking to his disciples now, so Christians, will think that he offers service unto God. Well, I could think of no none other right now, right at the top of my head, than ISIS right now. They actually think that they're God's people, yet, and they think that, and they, and they look religious, they do all these religious things, yet what do they do? They go out and kill Christians, and yet they act religious like they're actually God's people. Coincidentally, History tells us that after the devil couldn't stomp out the real Christians through the Roman Empire, as well as, well as other worldly empires, by imprisonment, death, torture, etc., uh, trying to get those that were really saved to recant Jesus Christ, he started using imposter religious people who had an outward appearance of godliness but weren't born again. He did this first with the Catholics. He did this first. The Catholics had the Inquisition, and, the, and they started to kill Christians that would not believe in the way that their doctrine or their beliefs, their anti-Bible doctrines, the way they believed. And so what they did was, is if you didn't recant, well, they killed you. And they tortured you so that you would recant. And when you wouldn't recant, they killed you. Well, nowadays, and for now, for since Muhammad came along, Islam's been doing the same thing. That will just pick right back up with them. Islam came right along and started doing the same thing. If you won't recant, if you won't become a Muslim, if you won't become, you know, believe in Allah only and turn away, you Jew or you Christian or you infidel, then we're going to kill you. And so these religious people, just like in these last days, as Jesus and Paul both said here, hating others, killing others, look, thinking they're religious, but killing other people and thinking that they're offering God service. Wow, it just blows my mind. It, and just how really sad and evil these last days have been. They are today, really. And they're really going to increase the longer that we continue to live on in this world, sadly. What is Paul's recommendation as far as how, how God's real people should deal with these evil religious imposters? Look at the rest of verse 5. He says this, and from such people turn away. Now, what is he saying here? Is he saying have zero to do so? Never even talk to a Muslim. Never even talk to a Christian. Never even talk to zero period at all. Like they don't exist. Anybody that's not a real Christian or that's not a born again Christian. Well, we know we we know he's not saying that because then he'd be rejecting the rest of the Bible where we don't see that. We see Jesus Christ witnessing to the religious imposters of his day. We see him eating with the worst of the worst. No, Paul didn't say that. He's saying more along the lines of Second Corinthians six fourteen. He says. 
Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, talking to Christians now, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, right? So it's not talking to or knowing or or trying to convert a person that's, that's a religious imposter or somebody that's not saved, that's the wrong thing to do. It's having fellowship with them. It's getting together with them, going out and having dinner with them, doing the things that they do. These are the things that we need to stay away from. We need to get away from the religious imposters or the unbelievers because what fellowship has light with darkness? Meaning, what, why should, you know, we should not be yoked together with them doing the same things that they do. And for obvious reasons, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, these people will be doing all these evil things. They'll be lovers of themselves and blasphemers and disobedience to parents. Why would we want to get together with them and know them intimately and personally when they're doing and living in all these wicked, wicked, wicked ways? So Paul's saying here, get away from them, except for to evangelize. It's okay if we share Christ with them until they reject us. It's okay. We should be, the Bible says, trying to talk to everybody and shining our light for Christ and telling everybody, you know, about the Lord and how to get saved and so on and so forth. This is something that Christians should be doing. Why? So why shouldn't Christians... Why else shouldn't Christians pretty much have nothing else to do with these imposters? I mean, again, other than trying to reach them for Christ, why else shouldn't we try to, you know, have fellowship with these imposters, these unbelievers? Look at verse 6. Talking about these evil people now, these evil imposters, Paul says here. For of this sort, meaning these types of people that are living in these ungodly and unholy ways are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts think about it if you're fellowship with somebody if you're doing what they're doing or if you're getting together with them what are you going to end up doing if you're just kind of hanging out and having personal time you're going to live you're going to start to live or the temptation is there to live to live as they do they're going to be creeping into ladies' houses and trying to have sex with them and doing all these ungodly things. Uh, evil company corrupts good behavior. If you, as a follower of Christ, start hanging around with buddy-buddy-like type of stuff with people that are living in these ungodly ways, it's not going to be very long before you start falling into the same type of lifestyle that they went, that they live. Only intimate associations with these people could lead to sin, the, the, the sin that Paul is mentioning here. Uh, how do we even know, again, that outreach is okay? Well, again, we know that Jesus outreached to even the, the imposters of his day. We know he ate with the worst of the worst. And the only reason he spent time with those that were living in ungodliness of his day was to reach them for God was to try to show them the kingdom of heaven, which was try to, to try to convert them from the wickedness that they lived in to righteousness, to God, to a relationship with God. What's another reason God's saved kids are supposed to pretty much have nothing to do with these imposters except to try to win them for Jesus until they reject? Well, look at verses 7 and 8. Paul tells us. All the, these same evil people now, these evil imposters of the last days are always going to be learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so they'll resist the truth. They've got corrupted minds, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith. So here's what they look like in a sense. They look religious outwardly. They live in all those ungodly ways. Yet I should say yet they live in all those ungodly ways. So they're trying to fake you out. But yet, so they live a double lifestyle, but yet they're zealous for knowledge, meaning they always want to learn. They're always interested in learning, but they're not interested in learning what you have to tell them. If you were to like have a personal relationship with them, they're not really interested in what you have to tell them. They're more just interested in learning things of the world. Okay. And so really in not being interested in what you have to tell them about Jesus, they're rejecting 
Christ. They're rejecting the biblical truth. And what did the Bible say? When somebody rejects, you're supposed to knock your dust off your shoes and you're supposed to go away. We're supposed to make contact. We're supposed to try, but we're not supposed to keep trying if they keep rejecting us. If they reject us, we're supposed to let them go and let God deal with them. And vengeance is the Lord, saith the Lord. So we're not supposed to continue. So we're, And we're not supposed to have intimate personal relationships with these religious you know, imitators, these religious imposters, right? And, be, and so because they've resisted the faith, because they're not interested in Christ, as verse 8 said, they become unapproved, which means they become unfit to be saved. Uh, think of Pharaoh in the Old Testament. As God continued to try to reach out to him through Moses and tell him the truth and show him the signs, all it said that Pharaoh did the first, I believe it was seven times of all the signs that God showed him, he, he said, the Bible says, he hardened his own heart toward God. So even though God was doing these mighty wonders, Pharaoh was hardening his heart toward God. And that's kind of like what these (coughs) religious imposters do. They live an alternate lifestyle, making you kind of having a form of godliness, but living on all this sin, living for themselves, loving themselves, and then you try to reach them, and if you don't kind of join them, they reject you and, you know, get away from me. And so they, what do they do? They reject Jesus Christ. Bible says, Jesus said, right, if they reject you, they reject the one that sent you. And if they reject me, they reject the one that sent me, right? And lastly, Paul says here that they won't be too hard to pick out. Look at what he says. Verse 9, but they will progress no further. Meaning, their godliness will only have a certain extent. Their godliness won't reach to their core, obviously, right? Like I think of the Muslims and how they have to pray five times a day and they have to make the journey to Mecca. And I think of Catholics, how they have to pray the rosary and how they have to, you know, they have to go to mass and they have to do this and they have to do that and they have to do the sacraments. and they have to, But it doesn't reach to their core. Their progress will reach no further because for their folly will be manifest to all their their, their, their sinful lifestyle, they're getting drunk on wine, their debauchery, their whatever, alcohol, they're, they're, they're watching porn, they're, they're having sex without a marriage, all would be easily seen to others, even though they do all these religious works. Jesus said the same thing about these imposters in Matthew 7, 15 and 16 and 20. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, Right? So they're false prophets, but they come to you, they're trying to, you know, they come and like, no, they don't, they look a different way than they really are, but you can't change who you really are. He says, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Your fruits are how you act, how you act mainly. Not saying that people that sin at all are religious imposters and we can't have anything to do with them because we're all sinners. Okay, the, the trademark of a true saved person is not that they become sinless. I will never until I die become sinless, meaning zero sin in my life because I make mistakes. I'm trying to be perfect every day and yet I make mistakes and I still sin, you know, occasionally. Right. But the trademark of a true not saved person is, is although they may have some religious duties that they do and they may look religious they, they never, ever, ever stop whatever sins that they're doing only where is in regards to their religion. They'll continue to be sinners and willful sinners, and they won't think anything about it. I know lots of Catholics, and I know lots of Muslims, and I one th- same thing about them all is that although they're decent people as far as some areas of their lives, and although maybe some, they have some religiosity to them, They swear and they don't think that talking about certain subjects is wrong and they live in certain ways and they don't, they just, sin is just abounds in their life. So although a real convert doesn't ever become sinless, as they continue to live for God, continue to live for Jesus Christ, they sin less as they continue to live. So sin will decrease in a true believer's life. No matter 
the good religious words that come out of somebody's mouths, what Jesus is saying here, they'll know them by their fruits. Just watch how they live their lives. And this will tell you, this will tell you who they really live for. Do they really live for themselves or do they, do they really live for God? Are they really a true convert or are they, do they just have a, a, you know, a view or an outward appearance of religiosity? So I know earlier in this message, the only imposters that I spoke of as far as the faiths go were Catholics and, and ISIS or, you know, radical, radical Muslims or Islam, right? Because Catholics, as I said before, have murdered Christians in the past and Muslims are currently murdering Christians today, save people now today. Plus, as I said earlier, almost every Catholic or slash Muslim I have ever met it would all be described as Paul describes them here. They have a form of godliness and yet they, they don't, they don't have any inward change. They still live. They're still the same people that they always were, but they do some religious works, and yet they just the sin doesn't bother them. They just doesn't matter that they sin or not. Well, I don't want to mislead you, because these two classes of religious imposters are not the only classes of people that are religious imposters. I don't want to mislead you, but I want to let you know that they're just a couple of the types of religious imposters that we have in our world today. Religious, po- religious imposters are way more than radical Muslims and Catholics. Sadly, religious imposters are the many. I would say the majority, ladies and gentlemen, of those that sit in our Christian churches in America, that fill our Christian churches in America and all over the world, even running imposter or apostate Christian denominations at this very moment, April 2016, especially in America. Religious imposter is not just somebody that kills a Christian, but looks religious. Religious imposter, it encompasses so much. And, and so what, what am I saying? How can this happen? How did this happen? How, how, and you may be shocked. Pastor Ed, you're telling me that people are sitting in Christian churches and they're religious imposters and, and, they're, and they're like the people that Paul wrote about today? Yes, I'm telling, that's what I'm telling you. This is exactly what I'm telling you. How, how did it happen? Well, Satan said a long time ago, he said, if I can't beat those Christians, if I can't beat that God, I'm going to join him. I'm going to join those Christians. So what did he do? He started making religious imposters in churches by teaching, by getting false and ungodly teachings into Christian churches. What is the big false teaching in the Christian churches that has made these religious imposters? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is right now. They teach, many teach. This is what many believe. This is kind of what goes around in the average church. You can be saved and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and never repent. Never repent. So, which means when you, when you throw repentance, oh, just pray this prayer and tell Jesus that you need him, without any form of repentance, which the Bible talks about repentance as a, as a, as a turning one's heart, as a changing of one's mind, with no repentance, that means that we can just believe in Jesus, And we think we can have a personal relationship with God, but still live and practice or live in any sort of sin that we want to because, as they've told me countless time after time after time after time after times over and over again, God loves me. Hey, I can live however I want, and I believe in Jesus. God loves me. That's what they say. The lie is this. We live our best life now, satisfying all of our sinful desires. We can go to clubs, we can do drugs, we can live with our partners and have sex outside of marriage. We don't got to get married. Hey, hey, it's better. We can, we can try the goods. I can't tell you how prevalent that is. Live with our partners, sex outside of marriage. I can get drunk regularly. I can go to clubs, get drunk. I can watch the porn. I can speak any way I want, filthy or not. Hey, ungodly movies, music, that doesn't matter. Hey, I can be a homosexual, etc., 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 etc. All the things that go against God's word, I can do and live in any of these ways I want. And the list goes on and on and on. And in spite of all those sinful ways that I live, I made sure I prayed a prayer at one time when I was a kid or whenever. And I asked Jesus into my heart to save me so I wouldn't go to hell. 
And, you know, I go to church once in a while or weekly. It doesn't really matter because, after all, we can be in the club and drinking and having sex with, you know, outside of marriage at night on a Saturday night because, after all, Saturday night's a good part of night. And I can be up in the church in the next morning and I can live however I want. Hey, I'm in church, man. That's it. I've prayed my prayer. I'm good with God. Well, bless God. I'm saved because I prayed one time to ask Jesus in my life. This belief is the biggest lie that Satan has got people to believe and it has destroyed American Christianity almost completely for sure. I'm not sure about the rest of the world. And it's so sad and depressing because when I've talked to these people, like many Catholics, like many Muslims, they act just like Paul said here. They reject what I say. That's not true. I, I believe in Jesus. That's all the Bible says. I just need to believe in Jesus. I just have a belief in Jesus. And yet, they reject the faith. They become disproved, which means they, they, since they reject, they become unfit to be saved because they're rejecting. And I tell them God's words, and they reject. And yet, they, concerning the faith and concerning Christ, they just reject. Religious imposters have been made because people have gone away from the foundational teachings of the Bible. Look at what Paul says here is a foundational teaching of God's Word. He says in Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, listen to these words he used, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. When I think of elementary, I think of kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Actually, in Texas here where I live, elementary is elementary school is K through 8th grade. So when I think of elementary, I think of the beginning of school. So he says, let's not let's leave the discussion of the beginnings of the principles of Christ and let us go on to perfection. Listen to this, not laying again the foundation. Again here we have another beginning. Foundation is where it all starts, right? Not laying again the foundation, so the beginning of this is the foundation of all salvation. A relationship with God is found is a found is founded right here. Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So it's not just faith for God, you know, towards God, like we talked about last week. Oh, I just have faith. No. It's repentance towards dead works. Hey, I'm turning away from those evil things that the Bible says that I shouldn't do, that I'm aware of that I do, because we're more evil than we even think. I'm going to turn away from those evil things that I do, and I'm going to put my faith in God. That's the foundation. That's where it starts. Yet, repentance has gone away out of the Christian church in America as a whole. Look at what Jesus Christ said the starting place was with him. He says, Matthew 16, 24, uh, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, foundation again now, we haven't decided to follow Jesus, but I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to, man, I would really like to follow Jesus. Okay, Jesus, all right, you want to follow me? Then let him deny self. Let him deny himself. Hey, Okay, follow me before you do. Turn away from your sin. Turn away. You can't live in love towards yourself. You can't live loving the world. The Bible says the love of the world. If anybody has the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in them. You need to deny yourself. Turn away from your evil. Turn away from the sin that you live in. Deny himself. That was the foundation. Take up his cross. And follow after me. Did you see the contrast to what Paul said here about the religious imposters? He said, religious imposters would, verse two, verses 2 to 4, for men will be lovers of themselves. There's no lovers. You can't love God if you love yourself. There's only room for one Lord in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, only room for one Lord in your life. You can't be Lord of your life and Jesus can't be Lord of your life at the same time. But these imposters will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. I don't hear there at all, and yet those people had a form of godliness, yet denied his power. I saw nothing there that said, love God more than me, deny myself, Pick up my cross and follow after Jesus. It's polar opposite. Complete 
polar opposite. Someone gets saved when they decide to accept God's invitation to salvation because God is, God is the one, the originator of salvation. He is the one that it comes from. We can't save ourselves. So someone gets saved when they decide to accept God's invitation to salvation, surrender to Jesus Christ, and start loving God and following Jesus Christ and his teachings and deny being their own Lord and making an effort to deny their own sinful ways and live a life of love for themselves. So denying those things and living for Christ, turning to Christ, surrendering to Christ, denying self, turning to the Lord. Are you a religious imposter today? Are you that are listening to me out there a religious imposter today? Would people say of you that you're a pretty religious person yet? They'd also say, well, you're a lover of yourself and you live in a holy ways against God. Yeah, well, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to get married someday. But, you know, me and my me and my girl, we're just, you know, we're, you know, we don't believe in marriage. We're trying it out. You know, we're, we're, we're you know, we're together. We're, you know, we'll, we'll get married someday. Having sex outside of marriage. Hey, we go to the club. Man, you know, we go to the club. I get drunk. I got my Bible on the dashboard of my car, though. I, that counts, right? As I'm, I'm driving in the car, they see my Bible. I'm, I'm witnessing for the Lord. That's not quite how it works. And you'd love the pleasures of your flesh. And so living in the ways of pleasing yourself rather than living the ways of pleasing and of loving God and following his ways. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 7, 20, Therefore, by your fruits, by their fruits, you will know them. What kind of fruit is your life producing? The fruit of a willful lifestyle of sinfulness or the fruit of loving God and following Jesus Christ and repentance towards dead works and faith towards Jesus Christ. Real salvation, ladies and gentlemen, comes when we hit this point in Matthew 6.25, when we reject one and accept another, Jesus says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. I want my life now. Then you'll lose your eternal life. So what he just said. I want to be the Lord of my life now. I'm going to lose my eternal life. That's what he just said. But whoever loses my, his life for my sake will find it. Whoever surrenders to Jesus Christ, falls on their knees, repents from the dead works that they do, turns their hearts toward the Lord and, and surrenders their life, their, their life now, for his sake, will have eternal life. It's a surrender. What would people say about you? Who is the Lord of your life? You or Jesus Christ? If you say Christ, then your life should, be, should pattern his. You should be working at holiness. You should be working at love and relationship with God, love towards mankind, and keeping and the keeping the teachings of Jesus Christ as a whole. If you say you, then your life will not, and it will pattern a life of love for yourself and a love of the sinful ways of your flesh. And if you say you, and I'm here to tell you today that you're headed for hell. And no matter how many religious works that you do, I don't care if you're a Catholic, a Muslim, or you think you're a devout churchgoer. I don't care how many religious works that you do, ladies or gentlemen. If you still live in your sin, the Bible says that you are separated from God. And you will not inherit eternal life when you die. For those who practice such things, Paul is very clear in his letters to the Corinthians. If you practice sinfulness is a lifestyle you shall not inherit the kingdom of god if this is you and you care today i pray that you repent because i will teach you the foundational principle in the bible found in this church and in the bible i will teach you that in gospel saving church repent men and women from your evil Repent from your love of self, from your love of pleasure rather than the love of God. Turn to Christ and surrender today and be saved. Otherwise, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how many good religious works you think you did in order to get to heaven, you won't make it. You won't make it. You'll burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever because you never really ever had a relationship with God, but you thought you did. You were deceiving yourself. 
I really hope and pray, and I'm going to pray here in a minute, that you make this decision, that you stop living as a religious imposter and you really turn to the Lord and away from the lordship of, that you have over yourself. Please today, turn if this is you. For God does love you, but only the people that, that are saved or the only people that are saved are those that decide to love him back. Not the ones just know he loves you. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this message. Thank you so much, Lord God, for what Paul said here. Thank you so much, Lord God, for what Jesus Christ said. Thank you so much, Lord, that you gave us the words to eternal life. That does not mean, sadly, Lord, that everybody's going to follow them, Lord. But, Lord, it means that you gave them to us and that you love us and that you want us to be saved, even in spite of the evil people that we are. Me Me and those in my church were just talking this morning about how you knew how we lived even before you died on the cross. And what a depth of love this showed That even before, when I was an atheist and I hated you and hated anything to do with you, you still came and you still died for me and you still said, here I am, come to me. Thank you, Lord, for this depth of love. Now I pray, Lord, that those that are listening to this message would say, I see that love and I realize that I am a religious imposter of the last days. And I pray, dear God, that you'd turn their hearts to you right now, that they would turn to you right now and surrender to you and stop being the Lord of their lives, Lord God, and surrender to you. And not just do religious works, because religious works without the right heart behind them, I, I might as well be watching TV. And I pray that you'd turn these people to you, Lord God. Turn them to you and save them. Thank you, Lord God. We just love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.